Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. Welcome to Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. Happy New Year! (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited for the new year, aren't we? Well, I guess I shouldn't speak for you. I'm very excited about it. I like I said, I think I was the only one who was really energized by the planning days. <laughs> right. They were. They were. Yeah, I was I, just gonna talk about that. Yeah. So before the break, we had our whole Happy Bottoms team had two big, long, but wonderful planning days where we really dove into our strategic plan because we worked on a new strategic plan for 2022 to 2025 and kind of worked on, we call it our task list. It's basically our Bible of everything that has to happen at Happy Bottoms and who's responsible for all of those things. And it's kind of a fun overview because as the year goes on, you you just get so wrapped up in your work. So it's just good to be reminded of like all the teeny tiny parts and pieces of what everybody is doing. What would you like about it? Well, my favorite, the thing that energizes me is like the brainstorming on Mm. what else can we do? Like, how can we be creative to reach new people, whether that's serving new people or, you know, telling more people about our mission and what we do and getting more people engaged, that kind of stuff really energizes me. Um, and I almost think it would be fun to do that at the beginning of the year too, because then you get, it's like, if we do it at the end of the year, we get energized and then we go on a two week hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> so. We will be doing, we'll be doing a good review of it at our staff yeah. meeting and, and continuing the conversation for sure all year long. Um, I think while we're on this topic, I'll just, I'll share some information about happy bottoms and kind of some tough decisions we made at the end of 2021, um, which is going back to our core programming, you know, as you know, Ashley, (laughs) um, we added a lot of programs during COVID to really meet the, the increased need because of the impacts of COVID. So during 2020, 2021, we started um, delivering diapers to people's homes who had um, transportation barriers. We started doing mass drive-through distributions. Um, What else, I'm missing something. We started- Direct distribution from the warehouse. Yep, direct distribution from the warehouse. And we're so excited that we were able to do those things, but they also are not exactly sustainable. Um, and the other thing, you know, part of our mission is to connect people to other resources, education through diaper need through diapers. So our partner model, um, where we distribute diapers through partner agencies like, um, Catholic Charities, Hope House, places like this, we love because it's getting people to step their foot inside a partner agency, maybe, or a social service agency, maybe for the first time and to get diapers. And then they're staying for other services. 
because as we see time and time again, people don't want to ask for help necessarily. Um, but often they'll show up for free diapers <laughs> and then, and then, uh, you know, our agencies can then wrap them around and with a little hug and all those other, um, services that they might need. So, so we're excited to all that to say, we're excited to really focus on getting back to that core programming through our partner agencies, through our hospital partners. Um, we are testing out, two new programs. Um, one we've already started testing is an enhanced service program. So we're going to give families more than 50 diapers per child per month. Um, because we are pretty sure that families need more than that. That was, <laughs> um, that's kind of been a best practice in the diaper banking world based on a study done in 2012. And so we just want to see what the real impact is when families have access to more than those 50 diapers. Um, currently those 50 diapers are supposed to fill the gap. So, um, if a family is, is, ends up being short about that many diapers a month. So we're really filling that gap, but I think that gap's probably grown. Um, the other thing we're looking at is in the, is diaper need in the whole state of Missouri. So I've partnered up with other diaper banks in Missouri and we formed a state coalition and between all of us, um, we're serving, pretty much every county south of, of I-70 um, and a few counties on the other side of I-70. And um, some of that is a large amount of that of those counties are covered by our friends at the Springfield Diaper Bank um, who have an affiliate program where they help get diapers into those rural counties. Um, and that is something that we at Happy Bottoms are going to be testing this year is how do we get diapers to those rural counties north of I-70? Um, and we're, we're excited to test that out to make sure that they have access because we know that the need is just as much in those areas as well. Um, yeah. I had somebody message me on Facebook just this week from Smithville mm. wanting diapers and I'm just I was like, I'm so sorry. We're we're working on it. Yeah, we're getting there. Yep. <laughs> One county at a time. Well, hopefully we can get up to that area, uh, up to that area this year. So it's exciting stuff. I think everybody's excited to kind of get back to that core programming because I'm not going to lie, this team, you included Ashley, you guys worked your tails off to keep up with the need and all that new programming the past few years. And, um, you know, it was certainly stressful um, and challenging as it was for everybody in the world, I think. <laughs> um, sure. So just to have some stability of knowing we're focusing on this and we're going to grow in some new and different ways this year is really exciting. That's, <laughs> that's a quick update on all things Happy Bottoms. But Ashley, maybe, maybe our listeners want to know a little bit about us. Should we answer some of our own questions and then maybe take some questions from... We have some questions from some listeners and we and do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great idea. All right. Well, first let's hear about you. Where'd you grow up? What was that like? Tell us all about it. So <laughs> 39 years ago, my life started out in diapers Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up in a small town in Southwestern Virginia, not West Virginia, but Southwestern Virginia, very close to the Tennessee line. Um, my family was a very strong Christian family, um, 
me, my brother, who's two years younger, my mother and father. Um, and we went to, we were very involved in church. So we went to church every Sunday, most Wednesdays, Sunday school, youth group at night, Sunday night service. Um, we were very involved and that was good for me. I was actually, I one of the memories that I have from church was that my, I had a friend who was just kind of like her parents would go every once in a while or something. We would sit next to each other. She always wanted to talk to me during the service. <laughs> and I, she still remembers this too. But one day I said to her, I said, Shh, we are in the house of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I just, I, I was all in honestly. And it was a great childhood. And I, I mean, it's, it's a huge part of who I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents got divorced when I was like 13 years old and I had always Ooh. had this image of them. Yeah. As being like, perfect. Right. Like, I thought they're like, they didn't drink. They didn't curse. Wow. They just 13. Were like, what a challenging yeah. time for you to have that yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a shock. It mm-hmm. was just an absolute shock. And so I think when that happened, I was just like, well, Maybe this is like, I don't know. You guys aren't perfect people. So I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be a perfect person either anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Then, yeah. I, then I kind of tested the waters on some, you know, typical. Oh, some stuff. rebellious. Yeah. <laughs> some rebellious behavior, mm-hmm. sex, drugs, rock and roll. Right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, got that out of my system. Well, mostly I'm still a little bit of a rebel, but, um, so yeah, it was great. But it, like I said, it, that foundation for me was really huge in mm-hmm. um, cementing some of the values that I still hold today and values that I want instilled in my son as well. And my mom was an amazing role model. She, um, she's a beautician. She cuts hair. Oh, wow. So she would, yeah. She owns her own uh, business now, but at the time she would just volunteer and cut people's hair in the nursing home. She really has a heart Aww. for people in those facilities and so she would take my brother and I on Saturdays and she would cut their hair for free and fix it and style it and we would just kind of run around the nursing home and do whatever but yeah she was a great role model and she's a big reason why I have a passion for serving and um, I was just gonna say it sounds like that's probably where you kind of got that heart yeah um she always she takes care of people like she was just telling me this past week She's got a dear friend that um, is in hospice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I guess there's a nurse, but she only comes like once or twice a week. And, and um, so her and a couple of her church friends were taking like four hour shifts, just watching her and like getting wow. her medicine, just sitting with her four hours shifts, like for every other day. And she does, this is not the first time she's done this. She, she does this all the time. She just really cares for people and spends her time, whatever That's people incredible. need. Incredible really. and yeah. really heartbreaking work. I think, you know, yes. Yeah. Not easy, not easy work. I mean, she's you know, helping them go to the bathroom and giving them baths, all the stuff that I don't know that I could do. Mm-hmm. She does. Wow. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. She plays That's awesome. She's loves my grandson or her grandson. My yes. Son. She spends hours playing Fortnite with him. She bought an Xbox so that she could play with him. Is she and good? She just, no. Fortnite, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's constantly telling her how terrible she is. 
That's so amazing. Yeah, I bet that that's really hard for her to be so far away from you guys. Yeah. And hard for you. Yes, especially now that I'm divorced myself. Um, Yeah. But yeah, he was born in 2010 and we moved in 2011, like 13 hours away from (gasps) us. And it's her only biological grandchild. She's got some step-grandchildren, but that was really hard on her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you guys get to travel and see each other a lot. Yes. A few times a year at least. (laughs) So pretty dreamy childhood then until, you know, divorce. That's a big dose of reality. Um, It it is. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of changed my whole paradigm. Yeah. Right. It it (laughs) literally breaks your whole world or just, you know, the, the view of the perfect little world that you have right now, we're all adults and we get it. Life happens, yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you just, just yeah. that's, that still doesn't help. Um, when you're a young child and going through that. So, yeah. um, well, I grew up, um, here in Kansas city. I lived in Raytown till I was about seven and it was, yeah, a same pretty dreamy childhood. Um, my family, well, my mom is Catholic. So she grew up in a big Catholic family, you know, lots of, um, I think she's the youngest of eight. Um, and so we always went to church on Sundays, um, much to her disappointment. I am, I, I would not really call myself a Catholic. Sorry, mom. I know you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I stopped going to church pretty much as soon as I, you know, stopped living under their roof. Um, but I have, you know, with her, my dad had no siblings. So, um, it was really interesting. We always, I loved to go to my grand, we called her grandma on the farm. That was my mom's mom. You know, they lived in a small town in Kansas and we'd go and all her brothers and sisters would be there with all of their kids. I mean, I've got so many cousins. I honestly, I probably pass cousins in Kansas city all the time. And I don't even know I'm related to them because like most of her siblings all also had a ton of kids. She was, she only had two kids. Right. So, um, it was just so many great memories going up to the farm and playing in the barn and on the hay bales and with all the cousins. And that was so fun. Um, and of course I love my grandparents on my dad's side too. I mean, you know, they, they were also lived in Raytown. So we got to see them a lot and there was a lot of spoiling and my grandma on that side baked a ton and I love to eat the raw dough man <laughs> <laughs> me too I I the, the best mm. yeah yes um so it was pretty dreamy but not you know my parents certainly had some struggles in my teen years um that were definitely um same you know life shattering but they they stuck it out and um and have had a, a, a long, I think they would say great marriage. Um, and I was heavily involved in all things singing, dancing, and acting my entire childhood. So that's right. That that's was right. my childhood. I mean, I probably danced five days a week. I was that kid who was like, you know, five years old and I was singing a solo in front of, on a stage in front of you know, hundreds of people. And, um, I was in a Christmas carol at the Missouri rep during junior high. 
So I missed, I pretty much didn't go to school um, in uh, October, November and December because I would be rehearsing and in the shows, which was, oh my gosh, it was just, it was wonderful. I did Starlight Theater back then. So I met a ton of just like Phyllis Diller, um, I don't even know if you know who that is, no, Ashley. I don't, I don't. <laughs> um, it's just some incredible old theater and television people who would be starring in the shows that were in town. Um, so it was an, it was a pretty cool experience. And a, I just, I loved that part of my childhood. Um, except I did in sixth grade, I did an oceans of fun commercial that of course I got, you know, teased about relentlessly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That was, was a big, yes. I got very, very, very teased. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was great childhood. I, I think I was probably a little restless though. Like looking back, you know, I, I always wanted to go to, when I was little, I just, I wanted to move to California and I wanted to keep singing and dancing. And I went out there and it was, um, you know, I thought I'd move and live there forever. And I was there for six months. Um, hated it. Really? <laughs> I did. Yes. But also it's cause I just wasn't happy out there anyway. So moved back to Kansas city and did, um, <laughs> more performing. I actually worked, um, in the shows at worlds of fun for a few years. So like oh, if, wow. pe- if people know what stacks of wax is, I did those. This is great. That was a really fun time in my life. Um, you know, we was just singing and dancing. We did five shows a day, six days a week. It was so fun. It was wow. amazing. Um, and then decided, well, let's go to New York. <laughs> so I moved to New York <laughs> Um, I got a job in advertising. I thought, you know, maybe I'll do some auditions on the side, but I got a job in advertising. Um, and you know, I thought I'd be there for like six months to a year. And I ended up staying there for about five years, worked in advertising. It was incredible. Um, I did audition audition for rent and got down to one of the last five girls. That was always my story. I was down to the last like five girls, um, (laughs) didn't make it, but, um, loved it. It was also an incredible time in my life, sang in bars with a friend of mine all over the city in New York, Um, was there for 9-11, and pretty much shortly after 9-11 kind of thought, you know, I really want to be around my niece and nephews. My brother was starting to have kids, and so moved back to Kansas City, Um, and then been several places. I moved back to New York again, Minnesota. I've now been back in um, Kansas City for gosh nine, I think going on nine years. So here, here for a while now, yeah. But yeah, it's it was very exciting. Do you get bored now with like the more mundane? I don't, but I think that's because of Riley. You know, my fifteen-year-old. It's just really cool to see everything that she does, and I think I'm old enough. Like I said you know, I think a lot of those moving things when I was younger, trying to get away from unhappiness, which was just probably within myself. And every time I moved, guess who followed? I did. (laughs) I think I just made peace with all of that. So I'm, you know, I'm good being here. Um, but I still love to see new places, new things. So traveling's really important. I just, I like to see the world and experience other life and get, you know, just get out of the everyday ordinary stuff yeah so I think a lot of people don't know like your musical 
background, yeah. I think they would find that very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I keep thinking, you know, that now that Riley's getting a little bit older, maybe I'll have to find some choir to join or something. Cause I just did. I loved that so much. And actually, you know, Riley sings too. So we sing a lot just at home and she is way more musically inclined than I could have ever hoped. Um, she could play the piano and violin and she understands all that music theory stuff. And wow. so we write songs together and it's just, it's fun. It's really fun. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. So when, when did you become aware of poverty? Um, for me, I, I didn't grow up with a whole lot, but I definitely wasn't poor. I was probably lower middle class, I would say. Um, like we couldn't afford fruit roll-ups in my lunchbox is how I always kind of classify. <laughs> um, but I think I, the first time I remember it, my dad was a huge baseball fan. And one time my brother and I traveled with him to Atlanta for a Atlanta Braves game. And we walked to the stadium and I remember seeing this guy in a wheelchair, um, like with a sign saying that he needed help. It was like the first time I'd ever noticed a homeless person. Wow. And I remember seeing him on the way in, but I just kind of was like scared, didn't know what to do. Um, and then we watched the game. My dad had given each of us $20 to get, you know, whatever at the game. And I saved mine and I was hoping to see the guy on the way out. And I actually did. Like he was on the bridge because everybody has to cross this bridge. I think it was Fulton Stadium at the time. It wasn't the new stadium. And to leave, you had to like cross this bridge. He was on the bridge. And I kind of left my dad's side and just went over and took him the $20 bill and then ran back to my, back to my dad. Um, but that's the first time I ever remember like being like, oh, man, he lives out here on the street and it's winter and he's got this big coat on. And I just felt so sad that that was his life. And, you know, he's handicapped, obviously. So he's, or at least he presented himself as handicapped. So I just had a lot of compassion for his situation. And um, that was probably the, the first time. And then obviously I've mentioned on the podcast before that I traveled to Nicaragua several times. The mm. first time as just, you know, a trip team member and it, you kind of absorb just all this overwhelming stuff. Like, you know, you see, the people obviously you see the houses that are just mud and sticks and you see the dogs that are like emaciated just running around like there's just so much that you are just kind of like absorbing kind of shockingly and then as I started going back and leading trips then that's where you can like you know make connections with people and really like connect with them on on certain things obviously there's a language barrier and stuff but um, How old were you when you did your first trip over there? Uh, let's see. It was after I moved here. So I was probably 31. Okay. And then we pretty much went back consecutive years for like four or five years. Did you ever take Jackson? No, they weren't allowing kids, kids. to go with us. I think you mm -hmm. had to be 16. Probably 16. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was only, you know, five, six, seven, eight at that time. So, um, but I immensely enjoyed it. We kind of adopted a village there. So we were constantly going back to the same place and the same people and, um, you know, 
it was just, it was a very meaningful experience. And I still keep contact with some of the students to this day. One of my students that is my favorite person that I've ever met there. They, basically they, their school is not paid for from like the, the government doesn't provide school. It's not funded personally after third grade. So if you want to go to school past third grade, then you have to pay for your supplies, your uniform, all, all the stuff. And most people can't afford it because they literally live on like $40 a month. Mm. And so we would adopt students. Our church would adopt several students. And I remember I had adopted, they, you know, they give you a card of a kid. You don't really know who it is. And I went on this trip and he had come down to the welcome center. We were just arriving. He'd come down to the welcome center and he brought his mom and he was like asking everybody who I was like, where's, is there an Ashley here? Is there an Ashley Allison here? Mm-hmm. And he came up to me with his mom and he was like, you're my sponsor. You're my sponsor. <gasps> and he was like telling me how good he was going to do in school. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Like, no, wow. like most kids are grateful for, you know, being sponsored or whatever, but he was just like, I'm taking the time. I'm bringing my mom. I'm going to meet her. I'm going to tell her how thankful I am. And I'm going to tell her how, you know, appreciative I am for the opportunity and how I'm going to run with it. Well, he graduated this year at like the top of his class. He was oh. in some array, some parade in um, Managua, which is the capital of Nicaragua for academics. Like he got to go to the parade and walk in the parade. Like he's been on these like videos to wow um, promote different programs. Like he's amazing. Oh, he just that's turned- so cool. I know. So what's next for him? Does he know what he'll do? What? It's really hard because like he lives in this small village. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest son. His father has very oh. good health. He's got to take care of the family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I worry that he'll get sucked into like their, their business is coffee beans. They pick coffee mm-hmm. beans. So I'm hoping that he can go to college and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. be a translator or something, but I do worry that he'll have to start Same. making money. Oh. So I don't know. That's going to get to be determined. Yeah, it is. It's very, very sad, but we'll see. Maybe okay. he'll, maybe he'll get to do something cool, but it's been really um, impactful to walk alongside their journey and know that, you know, you are in some way helping them help themselves because he took that opportunity and just ran with it mm-hmm. so um but yeah that's, that's that's been a very meaningful part of my last you know 10 years yeah you'll have to keep us posted yeah. <laughs> because I'm sure yeah. you'll stay in touch with him yeah yes he's connected wow. with me on Facebook and we've been in good. touch so yeah good very cool what about you um I think I certainly saw homeless people when I was younger. Um, But I also kind of just as a, you know, I I lived in a bubble maybe, or, you know, my parents were very protective and very, I think they both had challenging childhoods. So they wanted to just protect me and, make sure I was happy and, um, you know, didn't necessarily see all of the rougher parts of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I just, I didn't, I, I certainly saw homeless people, but didn't give it much thought. I just thought, Oh, that sucks. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't think That's about a hard like, concept to, to it is at that age. Right. I didn't think about like why they were there or how that happened. It was just like, oh, that, you know, that sucks. I wish I could. I always wanted to help. I like, I was like, gosh, I wish there was something I could do or like, let's give them money or, you know, this, whatever. But um, I really don't think it was until Happy Bottoms that I fully, fully understood um, the ins and outs of poverty. And I'm still learning. I think, um, you know, when I, I think that's kind of one of the number one questions I get asked. I can't remember if that's a question we have from one of our um, people or not, but I'm going to answer it. (laughs) One of the questions I get asked a lot is like, why did you start happy bottoms or how did that happen? And, you know, I was married at the time and fortunate enough to be staying home with my daughter, which is what I wanted to do. And, but I was also going stir crazy as any, um, stay at home mom who uh, is, you know, I'm going to say those moms work harder than anybody, um, knows it gets a little stir crazy at times, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when the only person you're talking to is like two years old, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to do something. Um, (laughs) but I couldn't imagine going back to a nine to five. And so I was kind of, I had some meetings with a friend of mine who ran a nonprofit at the time and just talking about maybe getting involved and helping her out. And one day she sent me an email that said, why don't you throw some energy at this? It was about a diaper bank um, called Help a Mother Out in California, who we're going to have on our podcast, actually, Lisa from Help a Mother Out. Um, And that was the first time that I really, you know, article talked about a mom with her um, kids who had to get on the city bus to go to the corner store to get groceries and diapers and that diapers are marked up. they're a higher cost than they are at big box stores, but she doesn't have a car, so she can't get to the big box stores. And then this mom is going home on the bus with her children, big, you know, the bags of diapers and bags of groceries. And I'm just like imagining. So the day I got this article, I'd gone to Costco and I was totally like just having an off day or whatever. I was like, oh my God, it's so hard to get the kid and the cart and all these groceries out to my car. And then I got to unload them and put them in the car and then get the kid and then go put the cart up and all this. And then I'm reading this article right after that trip. And I'm like, oh my God, I can never complain about anything in my life again. Like, I have diapers. I don't have to get on a bus with my kid. Like I, just all of, you know, these things. So it just really hit home with me. And, um, so then I did a, I, I, I just thought we, we need something like that here. So I tested it out with a 7,000 diapers in seven days diaper drive. And we collected almost 20,000 diapers and it's snowballed to this. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, but I, I, so I really feel like that was really my big wake up call as to, um, you know, what that looked like and what poverty means and, um, how it's, it's a tough thing. It is a very complicated thing that there's a million organizations trying to solve. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, should we jump into some questions from... I think so. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. I am going to bring these up. Okay. So Grace from Spring Hill asks, 
Do you offer cloth diapers for those that would be comfortable using them? I've always wondered. Great question. We currently do not offer cloth diapers. Um, so the majority of our clients are um, working families um, who, you know, you can be in poverty and still have a job and still not make ends meet. So um, they have to supply disposable diapers to their child's um, early childhood education center. So that is one reason we stick to diapers. But the other reason is, um, you know, a lot of our our clients don't have access to washers and dryers. Um, they can't take dirty diapers on the city bus to go to the laundromat. And if they do get to the laundromat, you have to run an extra load of bleach after you wash the diapers. Um, so for our clients, it's just not really, um, the best option that said there are several diaper banks who offer cloth diaper programs and um they're incredible and they work for their clients and we do get asked this question a lot i think because mm -hmm. there's still so much need for just regular diapers um we really want to conquer that first before we take off take on something else um but I love to, so I always come, come up with these crazy big ideas. And then my team is like, okay, how are we gonna do that? <laughs> they pull me back down. <laughs> I've had my eye on this, um, disposable, uh, or sorry, it's a, it's a machine that recycles disposable diapers. Um, and as of like, I don't know, right before the pandemic, I think there were only five of these in the world, but I really want to get my hands on one because I think it would be incredible for us to have a, dis, uh, a recycling machine for disposable diapers, um, at our warehouse that anybody in the community could use and be great for the environment and great for people. Um, you know, and again, I know cloth diapers work great for everybody. I just, I know for myself, they would stress me out and I can't imagine having the stress of life and poverty and having to work and take care of my kids and then having to deal with cloth diapers. Um, I, I think it would be a challenge personally. I totally agree. I can't imagine adding that onto somebody's plate who's already overwhelmed and you just mm -hmm. get them something that's a little easier to use and get them yeah. up more on their feet than... Maybe it's something they can look at. Yeah. But I think that the diaper recycling machine would create a big buzz. I think that'd be really cool. It would. People so from far and wide would want to come see. Have <laughs> any donors out there who want to um, give us probably uh, three quarters of a million dollars to get that machine? That'd be great. <laughs> Yes. It's pretty expensive, but wouldn't that be incredible? You know, someday we dream, I like to dream big. So someday we can, we can make it happen. Maybe we could start a GoFundMe. Hey, maybe. I mean, not a bad idea, know. right? Those things take off pretty quick sometimes. They do. And maybe everybody who has a child would be like, yeah, I could just, just, you know, I'd, I would dispose of these or recycle these. That yeah. would be great. It's a pretty cool machine. It's really interesting. It was created in New Zealand by a woman, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think she sold the company and it's been sold now to several different companies. Um, but it's pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah. I'd love, I'd love to, for us to be able to do that. Yeah, me too. Okay. Janet from Lenexa uh -huh. asks, I would like to hear your favorite 
favorite happy bottoms moment? One from both of you. And a second question for Jill. What do you see new in, say, two to five years for happy bottoms? All right. Do you have an answer, Ashley, for your favorite happy bottoms? I do. I think for me, and I was still very new in this position, but when we um, handed out our 15 millionth diaper, Mm -hmm. I know it wasn't like a heavily attended event. It was just kind of us and our team and Casey Wolf. And, but that's when we got to meet um, Richard and hear his story and meet the twins. And it was just a fun day, even though it was just kind of us in the parking lot and there was still COVID going on, but um, (laughs) 15 million diapers is a big achievement and for us to get to meet Richard and now the relationship that's developed out of that. I just, that's probably it for me. That's, that's a great one. Um, that's really hard for me to answer because I just feel like all of the moments are my favorite. Um, I did, I really enjoyed, I used to, um, deliver the diapers myself to our partner agencies way, way, way back in 2009. My dad had just retired and he had a big work van. So I would load the van up with all the diapers and deliver them. And I just loved that. And those relationships that I built with the partner agencies and, you know, we're so big now that I don't do, do that type of thing. I don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, cause I, I'm more running the business and have coming up with the big ideas. And, um, so I think now my favorite things, I just, this, I say it all the time, but I just, and it, feel like it sounds corny, but I love the team that works on happy bottoms. So, so, so much. And I love it when everybody's there and just doing what they're doing and everybody's buzzing and, you know, working towards the mission and doing good things for the community. And it just makes my heart so happy. Um, and so happy that we have such incredible people who work on the team and, um, and, and bring this dream to life every single day. It's really cool. So yeah. And I'm not sure I exactly answered the question, but that's it. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, it's a fun group. I enjoy it when we're all together too. Mm-hmm. Um, she did say second question for Jill. What do you see new in say two to five years for happy bottom? Ooh, good question. Well, we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the episode. I think some of the things we're trying to expand into rural counties, or we're going to test that out and potentially, um, uh, provide more than 50 diapers. Um, obviously that would be a much greater expense. So I'm not sure how realistic that is, but it would be pretty incredible if we can figure out how to do it. Um, I think the other thing is, is, um, what's always the goal for happy bottoms is putting ourselves out of business. So working with that state coalition to, um, make it required that, you know, families just get diapers, I, uh, you know, or that that's just, um, something you have, you know, we're starting with trying to remove taxes from diapers and thank you to representative sharp who has pre-filed a bill to remove taxes from diapers. But, um, whether it's federal funding specifically for diapers or, you know, I met with a woman several years ago who was like, 
I feel, she said, I feel like a doctor should be able to write a prescription and the client can take that prescription to the pharmacist for diapers. Like, why can't it just be like medicine? And, you know, is there a route there? I don't, I, there's just all kinds of ideas. So, um, anything we can do to help ensure that, that everybody has the diapers they need to keep their babies clean, dry and healthy. Um, and to put ourselves out of business. That's what we're going to work towards in the next two to five years. I love that. Yeah. That would be great. We find, we'll find another cause. We will. We will find, <laughs> find something else to do. <laughs> yes. All right. Mark from KC. I mm-hmm. wonder if this is our friend. Ah, wonder. Um, says, how does Happy Bottoms rank in the four state area of diaper banks in terms of number of families served and also number of diapers distributed? So, um, we, I don't have that data for the other diaper banks and we try not to really talk about that, those, those numbers, because we really don't want it to be a competition. And I think it can real easily and quickly become, oh, I serve this many families and this many diapers distributed, but that's while that, while those numbers are wonderful, that's not at the core of what we are doing, right? We, we want to end diaper need, um, no matter how many diapers it takes or how many families need diapers. So it, it just turns into a competition real quick. So we really try not to talk about that, but I can tell you that, um, St. Louis diaper bank is, um, we're probably about equal in the amount of, um, families and diapers we're serving and distributing. Um, Springfield has a larger service area, but um, I'm not sure that they are putting out quite as many diapers, but pretty close um, to as many diapers as we are. And then there are some smaller diaper banks in the middle of the state that are um, putting out diapers. And as far as, uh, let's see, four state area, Kansas, I have no idea about any of the other states. Um, there are diaper banks all over the country. When Happy Bottom started, there were about five diaper banks, but now there's over 300. So quite a few, but again, um, we really all try to just share resources and, Hey, we're doing this. I'm do, does this work for you? Does that work for you? And not get too caught up in the numbers so that it doesn't become a, you know, so that, so that we're coming from the right place in the work that we're doing, not just a, we got to get diapers out the door just to get diapers out the door. Right. I love that because I can see it definitely turning into a competition, (laughs) but it's not. And like, you you know, we have that national diaper bank Bank. conference every year Uh and everybody's so generous with their ideas and just helping each other out, figuring out, you know, well, we were trying this, but it didn't work. So we did this and Mm -hmm. it's helpful just, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we can lean on others to help us out. And every community has different needs, different populations, different. So it's, it's really hard to compare one to the other because, because you really do have to take into account what your specific community needs and, you know, who you are, who the people are that you're serving. Absolutely. So, um, so this wasn't from a particular individual, but several people asked, um, in one of the surveys that we sent out, what does volunteering look like in 2022? That is a great question. (laughs) Let's see if I can answer that. Maybe Ashley can help. You know, we talked 
a lot about this um, at our planning days um, at the end of the year, 2021. And I think it's still up in the air. I'm not going to lie. You know, it, it's been difficult with COVID um, because we want to be safe. Um, and I don't know exactly, you know, right after the holidays with Omicron and what does that look like? You know, January, February is a little tricky with volunteers anyway, often because of weather, sometimes things get canceled with ice or snow. Um, so, so I think that we kind of just need to see what happens. <laughs> um, I, I don't have a great answer for that. I think we want to start having more regular shifts, probably not more than 15 people at the warehouse, um, maybe at least 12 shifts a month, maybe a few more. Um, hopefully we can get back to doing our mobile wrap events where we bring our volunteer experience to you. Um, but we're also looking at some other, I, you know, we know, Ashley, you know, everybody loves to come wrap diapers. Like we have they all kinds of, love it. <laughs> yes. we have all kinds of volunteer experiences, but people just want to wrap diapers and I get it. It's fun. It's, mm -hmm. um, but we're trying to come up with some other meaningful ways to engage people. You know, is there some sort of poverty simulation where we can, um, let people walk through the shoes of some of one of our clients, what it's like, what the choices and decisions they are faced with on a day-to-day -day basis that requires them to need diapers. And would that be appealing for people to come learn about and then learn about diaper need? Um, and, and so, you know, we might, we might come up with some ideas like that for 2022 and ways of volunteering. And we continue to, um, just need advocates for happy bottoms. And as we do our state level work, um, starting some letter writing campaigns um, to really make some big change. I don't, Ashley, do you want to add anything to any of this? I think it'll just be like, we people will still be able to wrap diapers, but there may be some stuff added to that experience where you're, you know, learning about the need a little more, or maybe, connecting with our client families in a way, maybe sending them something or, you know, imparting some sort of kind words to them, connecting you to them. Um, so just trying to find some creative ways that people can still, you know, have wrap the diapers that they love and, you know, hold up that sign that says how many diapers you wrapped and all that, but mm -hmm. also making it, you know, a meaningful experience where you can leave with something that you've learned or some sort of connection that you want to make. Definitely. I love that. Um, we also have something else exciting coming in 2022. Do we want to talk about <laughs> merchandise? Sure. sure. I'm very excited about it. I've been on, I've been a busy bee. You guys <laughs> melted my heart last night. Oh my gosh. Okay. Listen, everybody. <laughs> We're, we're going to have some Happy Bottoms merchandise in 2022 because everywhere we go, everybody just loves our little animals and our branding. And it's incredible. Kudos to Design Ranch for coming up with an incredible brand for us. And we're yes. excited um, to have some fun things to sell. And, you know, we've had things in the past and we've, you know, ordered things and tried to sell them. But um, we're not salespeople. We're in nonprofit. We're focusing on our mission of getting diapers out the door to the families who need them. And so I kind of 
challenge the team to like, okay, how can we do this without having to have a bunch of inventory on staff? And they came up with some great ideas, but they'd also like to have a little inventory on staff. And I'm, you know, constantly looking at the budget and looking at our past experience with having inventory. And (laughs) so there were some emails going around and dear Ashley last night was like, I'm happy to pay for the cost of this one thing we want to buy. And then Brandon, who works closely with Ashley, was like, I'll split it with Ashley. And then Susan, who's our development director, was like, I'll help too. And I'm just like, oh, you guys. Okay, fine. We'll get it. It really was. was We know we can do it. We believe in it. And I believe we want to show you that it can be done. And I know that it can, we have, again, you know, we haven't had staff like, like dedicated staff to that type of a thing. So I agree. I think it can totally be done. And, um, and, but that was just such a heart. It was just like, of course, of course they could do it. What am I thinking? Okay. We have to do this. Like, and especially if they have that much passion behind it, that they're going to put their own money into it, that they want to, yeah, we'll do it. So anyway, but we are excited to have, um, what's some of, what's some of our merchandise that we're going to maybe have this year. So In the warehouse, we will have um, t-shirts, of course. We'll also have um, little notebooks that have our cover, like our branding cover and back on them. We're going to have some canvas totes that you can put groceries or whatever inside of. And then I'm hoping we can, we'll have enough left over to buy a few tumblers because people love tumblers Mm -hmm. and um, we can start with a couple of those. It'll be really cute that people can take away. And then if we sell those, we can order more. But yeah. online, we're going to be launching a site where you can purchase um, things like dog bandanas, toddler blankets, um, onesies for your baby, bibs for your baby, um, tumblers on the website also. Those bibs for the babies, man, those are adorable. I need my, are, I need my 15 got, year old to be a baby again. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the cutest design for a bib. I know. I'm, and I'm excited to see what the dog bandana is going to look like. Cause yes. people love their pets. Yes, they so. do. Yes, they do. Well, that's exciting. So, um, we hope that you guys buy all the merchandise when it comes out later this year. <laughs> yes, please. It'll be exciting. Um, is that, it? Right. is that it? Right. Is that exactly? <laughs> uh, those are our questions, right? Is that it? That's it. Yeah. Great. Awesome. So, um, well, I think we'll wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to have a few new segments this year. One of them we need a better name for. So if you have some names, let us know, email us. We should get an email going. Um, we should. Or they could email me at ashley at happybottoms.org. It's fine with me. Great. Email Ashley, ashley at happybottoms.org. I'm Jill at happybottoms.org. Email. Yeah, you can email any of us. Um, But we're going to, this first segment is man on the street. So um, in 2021, Ashley and I, this is like on the late night TV shows when you see some somebody go out on the street and stop random people and ask them crazy things. We went out and talked to people about what they think ha- happy bottoms is who, you know, people who have no idea what happy bottoms is. So it's, it was really fun. We're going to be doing more of this in 2022. Um, but we'll leave you today with this new segment, man on the street <laughs> and happy 2022, everybody. Happy new year. 
summer, Jill and I hit the streets to see what people knew about Happy Bottoms and our mission. We met some really cool people and we heard some interesting answers. Enjoy! Alright Fritz, if somebody told you they were going to go to Happy Bottoms tonight, what would you imagine they would be doing? Uh, dancing in kind of a redneck setting. Happy Bottoms? Uh, a bar? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be somewhere down a bar in the West Bottoms. I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> Happy Bottoms. I have no idea. Um, Probably a bar. Okay. I would suggest they're going to like like a play date for a bunch of children and they're like you know, it's a group it's like a it's a way that parents can get together and like socialize and drink while they're also with their children who are too small to uh we also asked people how much a box of diapers costs and how long they would last a baby. The correct answer for this question is 14 days. How long do you think this box of diapers would last? Probably a newborn because it's a size one. It'll last you. <laughs> well, Chuck. So I'm thinking three a day. Maybe I'm way off there. You guys probably can help me with that. So, so divide by three. You know, we're looking at, uh, you know, left, close to 60 diapers. Or 60 days? 60 days. 60 days Excuse for 164 me. diapers. Okay. We also asked which federal programs cover the cost of diapers? WIC, Medicaid, or food stamp? And 99% of you knew that none of them do. Way to be educated, Kansas City. We were pleasantly surprised to run into a few people who had a direct interaction with our mission. We met a nurse from KU who hands out diapers through our Bundles of Joy program, and then we met Trent. So if somebody told you that they were going to Happy Bottoms tonight, what would you imagine they might be doing? Well, you see, I have an advanced degree in that subject. I know all about it because of my church. We're in the Happy Bottoms business and we give away Happy Bottoms. It's one of the big programs where I go to church. What church is it? It's called Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral downtown. And, and Happy go. Bottoms is one of our big people. There you go. Yeah, how about that? That's amazing. It's one of the very important things we do. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our version of Man on the Street, and we hope to bring you much more in 2022.